VI Shots Lab You Podcast, Episode 6. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of VI Shots. My name is Michael Ivaliotis, and this is the podcast devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, I bring you interviews, discussions, and share with you ideas for how you can take your LabVIEW development to the next level. Well, thank you all for joining me on this episode of the VI Shots podcast. Last weekend... Well, right now, when we're recording this, it's last weekend for me, uh, but that would be April 29th and 30th of 2011, in case someone's listening to this podcast maybe 10 years from now, who knows. Um, the first robotics championship competition was held in St. Louis. I unfortunately could not attend, and so sad for me. Um, however, I have two guests uh, on the show today that did attend. Um, I'm very excited as well because uh, today we have our very first female guest on the show. <laughs> um, we have with us Crystal Drumheller. Hello. Uh, thank you for joining us, Crystal. And we also have Justin Gores, which uh, all of you are familiar from our previous uh, episode. Hello, Justin. Hi, Michael. So congratulations, Crystal, for being our first female on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, Michael. Um, can I, uh, I'll start with you and uh, just ask you a little bit, uh, if you can talk a little bit about your background and, and sort of where you've come from and where you are now. Sure, yeah. I, um, I started working at National Instruments back in the summer of 89, so that would be LabVIEW 1.2. And uh, I worked there for a very long time doing all sorts of things from tech support to marketing to training courses uh, to working on the LabVIEW development team. And four years ago, I switched and started working for W.L. Gorin Associates because they just happened to be down the street. I used to do remote development from, from Flagstaff, Arizona to Austin, and you know that kind of wears on a person after a while. So now I work at a company that I can walk to. And that's still in Arizona, I take it? Yep. So, uh, so there you, you actually work with LabVIEW as your, as your main job focus? Oh, yes. I will only ever work with LabVIEW. Okay, so you're not a text-based programmer? <laughs> no, no. In, in fact, ironically, when I interviewed at National Instruments, I said, I'll do anything but software. I hate software. And so they stuck me in front of LabVIEW and showed me a demo, and I went, oh, well, that doesn't even look like software. I'll work with that. And so that's kind of the rest is history. Are you suggesting that LabVIEW isn't a real programming language? You know, I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, and I like it, and it gets my work done. And I'm going to leave it at that. Basically, last weekend, you were at uh, the championship, uh, the first championship in St. Louis. Uh, just a little bit of background for anyone who's sort of working with LabVIEW and not familiar with FIRST. FIRST stands for For Inspiration and Recognition of Science and Technology. And uh, it was an organization founded by inventor Dean Kamen back in 1989 as a way to, to sort of inspire students in engineering and technology. And uh, they founded uh, the first robotics competition. They have the first Lego League, uh, the junior first Lego League, and the first Tech Challenge competitions. And if that sounds like I read it from Wikipedia, it's because it is. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how, how did you sort of get involved in FIRST? And, and how do you see that as um, sort of extension of what you work on in LabVIEW? Well, I had heard of FIRST. Through National Instruments, obviously, and I even spent some time working on the uh, the Lego team within LabVIEW. 
So I knew about it, but Flagstaff's a very small town in the middle of nowhere, and so I've kept my eyes open for local teams for years and never saw anything. And then somehow, uh, just out of the blue, back in, I don't know, a little over two years ago, I first saw an article in the newspaper talking about the Coconuts, which is a local FRC team. And What, what team number is that? It's 2486. Then right after that, I got an email through Gore's Internal Mail asking for volunteers for the first Lego League competition that was being held in Flagstaff. Unfortunately, I was out of town and didn't do it. But I kept the contact information, got in touch with them when I was free, and said, hey, if you ever need a mentor or someone to help with programming especially, give me a call. And I didn't hear from them for like two months. And then all of a sudden, one of the students on the team said, hey, could you come help us? We're having some issues with the robot. And ever since then, I've been completely hooked. And I love it. It's... um, the kind of interesting thing about it is that the hardware they use on the robots, the, the Compact Rio, is more sophisticated than what we do at work. I still have never done any Compact Rio work at Gore. It's all, you know, industrial, slow apps. It's none of this fancy FPGA programming and all this integrating vision and motion and all this crazy stuff. And so it's actually expanded my lab use skills quite a lot just working on these, these first robots. And so, so how many years has that been since you started doing it? So how many years have you been doing that then? Just two years. Okay. And uh, Justin, how did, how did you get, uh, we know how you got started in LabVIEW because uh, everybody should know that by now, but how, how did you get sort of in start, uh, involved with FIRST? I think this is your first year, correct? It is. Uh, my team is uh, Team 3459, and you'll note that we have an absurdly high team number because they basically number them starting at one, and so... Any teams with numbers in, in the range of us are, are also rookie teams this year. Um, I actually got started in it sort of similar to how Crystal did. I mean, you don't go very far in the LabVIEW world without somebody saying, blah, blah, first, blah, blah, C-Rio, something, something robots, um, especially around NI Week. And, and so a few years ago, like when Dean came and spoke at NI Week and was, you know, promoting first really strongly, um, I, you know, I became aware of it then. And, and I always figured that at some point I would get involved with FIRST. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't hide forever, and it sort of scratches a lot of itches for me in terms of, you know, teaching people LabVIEW and playing with robots and, and competition-based things and um, science and technology education and, and all those things. So it's always been kind of in my back pocket. Well, lo and behold, this spring, um, a friend of mine here in Cary, North Carolina, um, basically emailed me and said... Something, something, robot team, blah, 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 using LabVIEW. You use LabVIEW, right? And I wrote back to him and said, oh, my God, is that, is that first robotics? Um, and yes, I use LabVIEW. And he said, yeah. And, of course, you know, this is the part where, where I'm the most gullible person in the world. Um, he said, do you think you could stop by one of our team meetings and, you know, take a look at our code and maybe, like, for a half hour or so, just look at what we're doing, give us a couple pointers, tell us what we're doing right or wrong, which... I thought it was a great idea, so I, I went to their next meeting, and of course, you know, as soon as I look at the code, you know, two things. One, I'm instantly hooked, and I, and I know I can't ever get away. And then the other was, you know, it was a rookie team, and among the mentors and the students, none of them had any previous experience with FIRST Robotics, and no one had any experience with LabVIEW, but they were going with LabVIEW as their, as their language of choice. And so there was a great niche there for me to sort of jump in and contribute and feel like, you know, like I had something to offer people and, and feel like um, we could all sort of have fun doing this and learning together and, 
and doing all this cool first stuff. So that's how I got involved. Um, once I went to that first meeting, it was pretty much just hooked. And uh, your uh, so the first championship. In order to be able to go to the the championship, you have to actually win some matches. Um, and not necessarily. Okay. Yes, I guess that's what I was getting at. Is uh, so your your teams did not actually sort of go through the traditional winning of matches. So Crystal, what did how did your team get to the finals? Uh, my team won the chairman's award at the Arizona Regionals, and this is actually the second time they've won the chairman's award. Wow. Yeah, so they, they're they going for the, the world chairman's award, and I don't think they're going to stop until they get there. So uh, that, so there's a higher award then? What happens is, is at, at each regional, they award one chairman's award, and then when you go to Worlds, only the people who won those regional chairman awards can apply for the, the main overall chairman's award. And so that winner is then going to be in the Hall of Fame and they're going to be invited to Worlds for as long as their team exists. Wow, that's incredible. So yeah. is it, is it a, a, I assume it's challenging to, to, to be able to get that award. Um, what do you think um, contributed uh, in your team's case for them getting the award? What, what did you notice that they were doing different from other teams, perhaps? Well, the fact that we're remote and isolated and, and in a very small town actually helped a lot because there were no other first teams within, I'd say, a 150-mile radius. And so the Coconuts have single-handedly gone out and they their first year, well, I guess the first year they were just constantly on the robot. The second year, they started 16 FLL teams themselves and mentored all those kids. They then hosted the competition for all those teams. The next year, they brought that up to 26 teams. And then last year they had 25 teams. Wait, hold and on, hold, hold on a sec. You're saying that your the Coconuts actually started started actually 16 teams, like Lego League teams? Yeah, so that that's a record. You can wow. look that up in first. Yeah, they and that was in their second year they did that. And so, and in addition to that, they do a ton of community service. Um, right. Blackstaff's kind of a nice little fancy town because we've got the Lowell Observatory here, and we've got Gore, and we've got a university and things like that. So there's all these science programs. So there's science in the park and there's parades and there's, um, there's all sorts of like scientific type booths at the county fair every year. And so the kids participate in all of these things. So you can always see their robot in a parade because you know, we're on Route 66 as well. So there's tons of parades, right? And so you'll see them promoting science and technology and engineering everywhere. And in addition, I mean, they're traveling all over the place. They're, they're going to Prescott, which is like a, an hour and a half drive away. They're going to Page. They're going to uh, Loop, which is on the Navajo Reservation. In fact, my head programmer, Thomas, mentored a team out in Loop, and that's a 55-mile drive each way. And so after school, he'd drive out to Loop, mentor his FLL team, and drive back into town. So, well, so yeah, I mean, that's, that, sounds, that sounds incredible for, for that team. Yeah. Yeah, and they're still going to school, and a lot of these kids are in band and football and all sorts of other stuff. So it's amazing that they can find so much time to do robotics and all year round. So, Justin, what was uh, your team? How did your team get to the, the finals, the championship? So, I mentioned that we're a rookie team this year, and in your team's rookie season, um, you're eligible for what they call the Regional Rookie All Star Award. Um, and the Rookie All-Star Award is sort of like um, the Chairman's Award, but for rookies. 
uh, it's it's awarded to the way they describe it as the rookie team that best exemplifies uh, the philosophy and goals and and practices uh, the first is built on. And so much like the chairman's award, um, we did, my team has done a lot of community service and a lot of outreach. Um, we did a lot of demos of the robot uh, at, like for our sponsors. One of our sponsors is JCPenney. JCPenney incidentally sp- sponsors something like 500 FRC teams this year or something like that. And um, so we did a demo uh, in front of JCPenney in the mall here one Saturday morning uh, as the robot was kind of coming together right before the ship date, actually. I uh, did a sort of a presentation out there in the middle of the mall, you know, being visible to the public and, and trying to draw people in and talk about what FIRST is about and, and all those things. Um, in addition to that, uh, Crystal mentioned that her team is located in Flagstaff and it's kind of out in the boondocks. We don't have that problem, but we have a different but similar problem, which is that our team is not sponsored by any sort of like engineering company or we don't have corporate facilities that we go to or school facilities. Some of these teams that you see have like a dedicated machine shop that they have access to um, because, you know, it's, it's one of their sponsors or whatever kind of gives them access to the machine shop or build facilities at their school. And we don't have any of that. So we had to make do with what we could have or what we could get. Um, we ended up building the robot in a, in a condominium owned by one of the mentors that, that looked like sort of a, terrorist safe house with all the electronics and and hardware and stuff scattered all around it and a robot off in the corner. Um, But all those things together uh, sort of helped us have this culture of we can do anything and, and we're going to do it and be gracious and, you know, graciously professional um, as one of the tenets of first is, and we're going to do all this outreach and we have to run hard to get all this funding and and basically it set us up to really execute on what the main you know sort of promoted goals of first are and at our regional there were 17 rookie teams out of 52 total and we won the rookie all-star among them so i guess everything the kids did uh to to go after that award um came together really well for them for those that know lav you'll want to get involved and help out and mentor a team what exactly is involved with mentoring? I think it depends a lot on the team. Uh, I know that, for instance, Philippe at JKI mentors another team, um, one of the teams out in California, and has been doing that for several years. Uh, he told me that he's not real heavily involved because, frankly, the kids on the team are, are good LabVIEW developers now. Um, in my case, with my rookie team, because they had absolutely no LabVIEW experience, a large part of the season was spent with me and the software team uh, teaching them sort of the basics of LabVIEW. Here's a while loop. Here's a global variable. Here's how you, you know, drop nodes on the block diagram. Here's what a data type is. Why, you know, here's why that wire is broken. Um, you can't wire things in a cycle. Things like that. And so the software in our robot this year was very, very simple. And we basically took the templates that NI provided, which were actually reasonably good templates, although they're written in ways that are a little bit odd. Uh, and so we tweaked those a little bit and added basic functionality to them. And that was enough. 
Uh, so next year, you know, I'll, I'll have some of the students are, are going to be with the team again and we'll sort of build on what they learned this year. And maybe they'll learn a little bit more about uh, how to design a good sub VI and, and maybe how to use type defs and a little bit more about how to use the templates. And, and I think you just build iteratively on it. Um, but it depends a lot on the age of the team. So what if you don't have sort of compact field point uh, or compact Rio, sorry, um, knowledge? How, how does that hinder? We obviously know more than uh, a bunch of high school students, or one would hope. So that was kind of what I went into it, saying, well, I already understand the basic tenets of how NI hardware works with the software. I know to you know, look in Macs, and I know to look in the LabVIEW palettes and look for stuff that I need and how to search and how to find examples. And, of course, they give you, as Justin mentioned, the really nice templates. And so you don't have to know that much. You just have to know a little bit more than what the students do that day to, to really push them to the next level. That's absolutely true. And as time went on, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I dug into the templates a bit just because I was interested in them or because something was going wrong and I wanted to debug it. But really, I would get down to where the FPGA code was. Uh, and a lot of it, interestingly, was like inline sub-VIs for those other like LabVIEW advanced developers out there listening. There were some kind of weird things as I dug way down into the framework. Um, but as soon as I reached that, that sort of level, I just panicked and backed out and said, if that code looks the way it does, like it's been inlined by the compiler, then clearly I'm not supposed to be in here. And other than that, it was just, it was just like using regular LabVIEW. As far as time commitment, how did you find that sort of balancing time spent on first and sort of your other activities? Okay, I'll jump in on this one, since I've had both extremes. Uh, so the first year, they called me when they were panicked. It was already halfway through build season. They had zero software developed. They were freaking out. So I spent a lot of long hours doing exactly what Justin mentioned with the whole, this is a while loop, this is a for loop, this is why this is broken, this is why you can't use this VI, but you can use this one instead on and on and on. It's always there at the high school from the second I got off work until, you know, sometimes midnight, one, two o'clock. Uh, but then the head software programmer, Thomas, he figured it all out. I mean, he was right there with me the whole time. This year, I never had to go. I spent almost no time. I, I went to the, the competitions and that was it. But then Thomas is a senior. So next year, I've already had about three or four kids ask me, will you teach me how to program? So I'm anticipating that I'm going to spend a lot more hours at the school and trying to, and of course my husband's always telling me, you got to find balance, you got to say no. So I'll, I'll see if I can find some balance. But I mean, it's so much fun that you kind of forget how many hours you've been there. And the kids are so eager to learn and they soak it right up and they love LabVIEW. And, you know, it's like playing a video game for them practically. So, so I guess that's, that would be, I guess, your reward then, knowing that, you know, you're, you're transferring this knowledge to the next generation, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's really true. One of the, the neat things about it for me is that, especially as the season goes on, the team does become like, like a work group. And so it's sort of like working on this awesome project for work, you know, that doesn't involve, you know, a 100-page spec document or you know, some mundane industrial task, like you're building a robot and you're working with the mechanical team and the electrical team and the software team and everybody is sort of learning from everyone else. And it's it's a really infectious experience. And, and I think that I'm lucky to have a really good team. I, I suppose that maybe some people are listening to this and, and wishing that they that their team wasn't, you know, wasn't hard to work with. I don't know. But or maybe it's all wonderful for everyone. But my experience has really been that it's it's awesome just being part of that 
learning engineering environment. I'd like to ask uh, you, Crystal, about your uh, about actually going to St. Louis. Was this your first uh, championship? No, no. I went last year when they went to Atlanta. Uh, well, comparing St. Louis to Atlanta as well, and also just in general being there, how did you find that experience? You know, I found it kind of... Atlanta had been doing it for many years, and so just the logistics of where everybody was supposed to go and what people were supposed to do was very well done. But then what blew me away in St. Louis, because, you know, they'd not done it before, they didn't know how to set things up, you know, the crepes and the booze were a mess. But um, what impressed me is that it seems to be catching the eye of celebrities. And so it seems like you turn around and there'd be Morgan Freeman. And you're like, what? What the heck? Is that who I think it is? And so I, I don't remember there being any celebrities at, uh, at Atlanta last year. I mean, Dean Kamen, of course, and he signed all the kids' shirts when he walked by, and Woody Flowers was there. But, you know, big-name celebrities that everybody knows are starting to show up to these world championships and really start pushing first. It's, it's really cool. So Mor- Morgan Freeman was there. I think uh, the Black Eyed Peas also were there, and they actually yes, performed, they right? In fact, um, Will I Am uh, built his own FTC robot. So FTC is like the bridge between First Lego League and, and FRC. Um, he actually built his own FTC robot and and competed it against Dean Kamen's FT, FTC robot. I didn't get to go to the match because I was I had a match of my own to coach. But but yeah, it was a big deal. Will I Am was very involved this year, and um, and and I think that it's not just sort of celebrities paying lip service to it. I get the impression that like Will I Am and Morgan Freeman, I think they it seems to me that they really get it and that they see the importance of the, you know, STEM education and sort of what first is bringing to the table in terms of sort of competitive academics. Well, definitely because uh I mean, we we all acknowledge that there is a crisis in this country regarding engineering and um, you know, high school students, you know, then, then the number of them going into college and universities and um, getting engineering degrees is, is is always a challenge and definitely first uh, helps helps in that direction. So uh, yeah, and you guys actually, um, I think Justin, when you went down there, uh, did you know that Crystal was there? I actually didn't. Um, oh, okay. I've been so busy that I sort of didn't get a chance to check in on lava or whatever and say, hey, who else is going to St. Louis? And so you know, I was there, and then. Michael actually texted me or emailed me and said, hey, by the way, Crystal's there. And um, I was like, oh, sweet. So then I texted Crystal, blah, blah, blah. Where are you? What division are you in? And, and we figured out that, that our booths were actually like, I don't know, 30 feet from each other. So we would have we run into each other at some point regardless. But yeah, it was, it was a nice surprise. And there were some other um, Lava and LabVIEW related you know, community people there. Um, ben Zimmer was running around, although I didn't get to see him. Um, he was there doing his enable training and consulting stuff. And uh, Patrick Sullivan, who I guess, who I think he and Ben worked together, he was there. Crystal and I actually met him in the NI booth. They were, he was doing some robotics demos. I, I'm sure there were others. The championships, as Crystal mentioned, <laughs> are a pretty big place. And you can, you could definitely, you know, be there with people and not know it. So while you oh, were, yeah. the, so while you were there, uh, Crystal, did you um, field any problems that your team had? And how did, how did your team perform anyway? Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying all of the components, the robot worked flawlessly, but they didn't all work flawlessly in the same mat. So for whatever reason, there were little issues here and there that would crop up and we would fix them as they came along. But we actually did end up in 88th place out of 88th in the Curie division. So your team came in last? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) 
But of course, but of course, it's not about winning, right? No, it wasn't about winning. And and you know, ironically, I was just fielding some uh, emails from some of the National Instruments R and D guys. We were having some interesting technical issues that had nothing to do with you know how our robot was put together or the software that was written. Some sort of what booted first communication issues that we're still trying to figure out what's going on. So things beyond our control, let's just put it that way. And Justin, how did your team fare? Well, I'm happy to report, Michael, that our team performed an entire three places (laughs) better than Crystal's. Um, We actually finished in 85th out of 88. Um, It was was a wonderful experience. Um, at, At our regionals, Let's let's talk about the good stuff that happened first. Um, at our regionals, we actually finished seventh out of fifty-two, which which we were really really proud of. Um, the reason I mention that is maybe to justify the fact that we actually no seriously we had a good robot, but but also it's it's absolutely fair to say that we were very fortunate at regionals. Um, we had you know a few matches that we drew really well. Um, we had good alliance members and we had. Um, not so good opponents and uh, like in one match we won three to zero at regionals um, and that easily could have been a match that we lost you know 75 to three but we we were fortunate that the other team scored zero points and, and our alliance managed three um, and so we had very good luck at regionals so off we go to championships and all of the good luck that we had at regionals not only went away it actually sort of turned into actual bad luck and we had, you know, we had some, I think, unfortunate match draws where we got drawn against extremely strong opponent robots. Um, in one case, our alliance was actually three rookie teams against a couple of the top ranked teams in our division. And so, and so we got <laughs> slaughtered, right? It was, it was just a bloodbath. But, you know, and then we, we also had some mechanical problems um, that, we, that we didn't foresee. Um, we actually... Uh, this uh, anyone who does industrial control with LabVIEW will relate to this. We had a limit switch um, that was supposed to keep our arm from going too high, and um, something happened, and the limit switch got out of position. And as the arm went up at the beginning of the match, um, it just it was kept to going go all the way up. It just yeah, it, it blew past the limit switch and kept going and going and going and ran right off the end of of our of the lead screw that we used to raise our arm. And that did two things: it locked up the lead screw because it basically ground the lead screw into the into its hard stop. And um, then it also burned out, <laughs> burned out the arm motor, and and stuff like that. You know, could I have happened. That issue you had that was classic. What, what was what was that one, Crystal? It fell into the your robot. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was a good one too. So so the way the, the way the game worked this year was it had a really interesting thing at the at the end where um, your big robot, your main robot, was supposed to deploy this this smaller autonomous robot the, onto a pole. The, the mini bot. Mini bot, yeah. And, and that was a neat thing because it turns out it's, it's kind of a clever little trick to build a robot that deploy that, you know, sort of launches a separate robot and that robot does something by itself. It, it raises some really tricky engineering problems that are very cool. And, and so one of the big concerns with that is one of the big puzzles is how do you mount the mini bot in such a way that it's secure on your robot during the match as you're driving around and bumping into things and, and falling over. Um, but then, you know, sort of, it's it's attached securely, but it's attached securely in a way that you can release it easily at the end of the match. Well, in our case, we had our, our mini bot sitting on a couple pegs. 
And generally speaking, it was pretty safe. But this one match, we were rattling it around and it fell off of its pegs. And this would happen occasionally. You'd see a robot lose a minibot. In our case, though, our minibot actually fell off of its mounting. And instead of falling off of the robot, it fell into the center of the robot. And when it fell into the center of the robot, it, it landed on the power wiring to the C-Rio. Ouch. Out. And so our robot, we were driving around and the, and the minibot was shaking loose. And then all of a sudden the robot just went dead. Right. And that was the only time in all of our matches, regionals and championships, that that our robot went dead. Did it blow, did that, it blow a fuse or something? It, 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 well, it was just like yanking the plug out of the wall. Oh, right. And it was it literally <laughs> fell the wires and pulled them out of the C Rio. Um, and so we were like, you know, what happened? And then we're, we're just standing there waiting for the match to end and, you know, losing again. Um, did I mention we finished 85th? Um, and uh, and uh, then the, the, the driver went out there to get the robot afterwards. And I, I went around and got the cart and pushed it around to the side of the field. And, he, and I was like, what happened? And he came out with the robot and he goes, you're never going to believe this. The minibot fell on the C Rio and pulled the power wiring out. Now we could drive a thousand matches trying to make that happen, and it would never ever happen again. But you know, it it happened at championships, and so I I don't know what you do. Well, actually, I do know what you do. You put Alexa and Shield over your C Rio. That's the lesson here. But there's but the point is that there's going to be stuff like that that just goes wrong, and the matches. Once you've been through 15 or 20 matches, the matches are so punishing and so hard and the robots you're against are so good and you have to drive so, you know, so on the edge that, um, you know, all of them, all of the possible failure modes of your robot will eventually be, you know, be revealed. And not to mention that you're vibration testing every single component. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it really gets to it gets to the overall point, I think, that, that is sort of the main lesson which is that reliability is, is king because if you have a mediocre robot, I think that works a hundred percent of the time, like if you have a, a basically mediocre robot, but autonomous mode always works and minibot always works and hanging tubes, you can kind of do, but at least your arm always goes up and down. You'll field a good robot and you'll win a lot of matches. But if you have a robot that has stuff falling off of it, your power connectors come out and your, your limit switches break, you know, like you're going to have problems. And, and the funny thing is, you know, professional engineering is kind of like that, too. And so that I think is it, it's one of those really valuable lessons that I think sneaks up on you in first that you won't find in the in the rule book. But it's one of the big lessons you learn. I, I actually went to one um, one uh, championship that was in Atlanta, I think back in 2008. That was the year before the C-Rios were installed in the, mm. in the competition. Um, and one thing that struck me was the, the camaraderie and the cooperation between the teams. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one of the, the founding principles of FIRST is, is this uh, gracious professionalism and cooperation. And what they do is it's not like your robot against another robot. They have alliances. And so somebody that you might be playing against in one match is going to be on your alliance in the next game. So you have to make sure that they're running their best. And so everyone is helping everybody else and dropping what they have to loan stuff to people because you never know who is going to be on your alliance. And you, you want them to be the best prepared they can. 
Well, and the cooperation aspect is is part of some of the awards they give out too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it explicitly counts toward the chairman's award, right? Like when you're yeah. when when you get a part from another team, you're actually supposed to get a little piece of paper and fill it out and turn it into the into the pit admin or the judges or somebody that says, you know, hey, team twenty four eighty six gave us you know a Fisher Price motor um, or a, or a or a spike relay that we needed. You know, signed team three four five nine, and and so mm-hmm. it's not only encouraged; it's actually actively rewarded. Yes, achievement unlocked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, video, exactly. in video games, um, yeah. Actually, I, I looked up the word cooperation, and, and apparently, um, it's been patented by Dean Kamen. I was oh, going to bring go. that up. Yeah, they actually have a patent on the word cooperation. So, are there any other interesting stories that you want to tell us, Justin? <laughs> you mean the one about when I got hit in the face with a pipe? Well, <laughs> since you brought it up. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not really that much that much of a story for the podcast, but um but it was kind of funny because we had um we were working on on tweaking um our minibot deployment, which it turned out getting the minibot deployed was as I mentioned a really tricky problem. And um and Adrian, my my friend Adrian and I two mentors um and really this was probably a mistake we shouldn't have been doing this as mentors we should have been like the students should have been doing it but it was a tricky issue and so he and i were playing with with this piece of hardware this mechanism and um the mini bot was deployed onto this this pole this galvanized steel pole that's maybe an inch and three quarters in diameter or so i mean it's, it's a fairly big pipe maybe two inches in diameter and uh he was holding the long story short he was holding the pole and I was holding the, the minibot deployment mechanism and the minibot attached to the pole and ran up and hit his hand and started to fall off. And he instinctively let go of the pole on the top to grab the minibot as it fell. And as he did, the, the pole as he was holding it was cantilevered on, on the minibot platform. And the, so the top of it came flying back at me like a, like a mousetrap <laughs> and smacked me in the forehead. And so I was walking around with blood streaming down my face i went into the bathroom and there was no mirror because i guess i we don't put mirrors in men's bathrooms anymore i no, i don't know if women's too i don't understand the no mirrors i really don't yeah so i don't know and so i, I ended up having to use facetime on my eye or uh, the the rear-facing camera on my iphone and i was holding it up in the in the bathroom and looking at myself and and um so i was i was the major casualty in in our championship experience i guess so um, just to close this off, then uh, uh, start with you, Crystal. If what, w- what would you say to someone that wanted to get involved as a mentor in first, and uh, what would what would you tell them? I would tell them to absolutely do it. I mean, uh, if if they're not sure how much time they can commit, that they should just be really firm with everybody they talk to and say, you know, I can only do this for two hours a week on this day at this time. But otherwise, just be open. Um, the kids just love putting these robots together and they love having people come and help them. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend everybody do it. And you, Justin being your first time. I also absolutely recommend it. I I would say that in some ways the software is not as hard as I had expected it to be. I was sort of afraid when I would get involved that like, you know, I'd have to be essentially like you'd need like at least a CLAD level person just doing the code 
and I and I really couldn't figure out how the kids were going to do this because hey, you know, it's LabVIEW. It's LabVIEW, man. Yeah. It's supposed yeah, to be right. easy. <laughs> yeah, we, we we all say those things, but <laughs> but then it turns out that actually the the software templates are pretty robust, and there are aspects of them that I as a as a CLA sort of disagree with. But they're really, really robust and they're easy for the students to program. And so I was pleasantly surprised at, at how well set up, at, at how well the program sort of sets the teams up for success. And so I would say that um, anybody who has anything to contribute on the software side, absolutely jump in, get involved. You know, your lab view skills are more than sufficient to get the job done. Um, and likewise for anybody else, uh, anybody with electrical or mechanical or even graphic design and communications expertise. There are places like that on every team. They need web design. They need logo design. They need T-shirt design. They need writing for the, for the judges' books, for the awards and all that. And they start teams out with a pretty good kit of parts. So, like, you don't have to start from scratch specking your motors. They give you the motors you have to use. And, and they give you sort of the wiring breakouts and stuff like that. They do a pretty good job of removing the worst parts of engineering from, from, <laughs> from the responsibilities of the team so that, so that you can concentrate on sort of the learning and, the, and you know, getting familiar with, with building something awesome. And so I've, I was really impressed by how they sort of set things up with a good platform to build on that's fun. Everybody can learn from it. Uh, it's not a big... You know, you're not risking failure by jumping in. No one's going to judge you and, and, and all that. That having been said, what Crystal said was spot on. Um, I, and I mean this in the best way possible. First, first we'll eat you alive. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can spend every moment of every day doing it because it's that much fun. Yeah, they've got a T-shirt they sell. It says hardest fun ever. And I think that sums it up quite well. It truly is. Well, I think we'll end it there. That was that was an exciting episode. I'd like to thank uh, Crystal. Thank oh, you. Thank you, Michael. And I also like to thank Justin. Thank you, Michael. And I like to thank all of you for listening to this uh, Vi Shots LabVIEW podcast episode. Make sure to visit the show notes page on vishots.com to find links to the content that we've mentioned in this episode. Uh, you can also leave a comment there with any questions. Just search for Vi Shots podcast episode six, or you can send us an email at feedback at vishots.com. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. Bye.